Well, hello. Normally I don't come to you on a Tuesday, but there were several emails I got today that had little questions in them, and I thought, all right, let's just pile them together. I'm a little slow in my email right now, frankly, because I've just gotten so busy, but I do plan to get to all of them. If you have any other questions, patrick at OurSafeHarbor.com. Okay? Simple ones. First one I have to admit I've never heard of. Uh, a lady wrote in and said that she'd been taught that singing in the Bible always referred to singing within a congregation in modern parlance, perhaps in a church service. Uh, I have never heard of that teaching before. There are certainly examples of people gathering to sing. Jesus and his apostles sang regularly together. Uh, that was a common part of the worship in a synagogue. And in the early church, when they gathered, they certainly sang. The rules about singing that people try to write and then say this applies in all of these different ways. Now grab a verse out of Ephesians or Colossians. Um, and sometimes whenever you push back a bit on that, and they'll say, well, this refers to congregational singing. No. In Ephesians and Colossians, when it talks about singing, it's right in the middle of passages that talk about how you're to go about your everyday life. And singing is a part of our everyday life. Now, if you're not a singer, it doesn't mean that you're, not, that you're a sinner. It just means as we go about our life full of joy, we let people know about God, teaching one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I've never heard of a teaching that says our singing is to only be in a congregation. And if somebody's telling you that, um, doors are there for a reason and I would use it. Another came in and saying, um, this came out of the last Monday morning message. They said, could you address the uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? club that people beat people with and if you don't know what that root is talked about who told you when to worship and that was last Monday I won't review all of that now because so, you can go back and, and listen to it but eventually people started binding on their their people that they had to be there Sunday morning Sunday night and Wednesday night in in many various uh, Protestant denominations I don't believe that any Catholic uh, church requires that you be there that often, but I could be wrong on that. If you weren't present on a Wednesday night, and if you didn't come on Sunday nights, some people said that you were forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The writer of Hebrews uh, warns people that as you go through life, you know, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of some is. So that means when, uh, in the, the way I was raised, we were told when the door swings open, you swing in. You're supposed to be there. No, no, that's not what Hebrews is talking about. These are people who had just quit. These are people that let other things take the place of. Now, there are places I've lived that are beauty spots, and one of them was Colorado. And it was amazing to me how many Christians believed, eh, it's Sunday, but... The mountains are there and they would just not be there now a long time ago i lived in colorado for a short period and married my wife there and we left and, and ended up back in scotland but uh, i was um i was a youth minister kind of they hired me as a youth minister and i was terrible at it frankly just absolutely horrible at it had no clue what i was doing but I did notice things. I see things, I notice things. Um, 
those parents that were always, well, we have sports on Sunday. Well, the mountains are there on Sunday. Well, been working hard. got a ski pass on. Those kids didn't stay in church of any kind. They learned. And so there's a need to be involved. There's a need to be present. But that doesn't mean that whenever church arbitrarily says, Wednesday night is the time and place you have to be back here, that they have the authority to do that. Or that if you're not going to be able to show up because you've got a lot of homework or you've got this or that, that you are forsaking the assembling. They are yanking a verse out of context and forming it into a club to hit you with. You do not have to stand there and let them hit you. All right? Be at worship, especially when the whole congregation is planning to come together, like on a Sunday morning. Be there every, every chance you get. And if you don't have a chance, you don't beat yourself up over it. You just make sure that you arrange your life the best you can to be there when you can and make an honest effort because we do need the community. And especially now we have, we're a virtual church and yet we're still a community. And this coming Sunday, we'll have videos from members from uh, Italy, uh, Colorado and Texas. We'll be in at least 10 countries. We think we're in a couple more than that. It is a community of give and take. Be somewhere, all right? Um, a wonderful question came in. Whenever Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, what did his hearers hear since he hadn't yet died? I love this question because it shows the, the, the questioner understands that we are to hear it as they heard it. We are to read scripture looking forward. We tend to read scripture looking back. In other words, all of our interpretations and then that descends upon the passage. What did they hear? Sadly, they heard about a cross. They knew crosses. Romans liked to crucify people and sometimes would line the roads with writhing, dying men. It was a horror show and it was that way on purpose. It was that way to terrify and terrorize the, the populace. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, it was a shocking thing. It was, uh, it would have, some people would have turned immediately and not followed him anymore uh, because he's really saying, if you want to follow me, you're gonna have to carry your death with you because you're got to be ready to die. The Celtic folk, whenever the missionaries came in, particularly St. Patrick's missionaries, his team in Ireland, St. Patrick was Welsh, almost certainly, he wasn't Irish, but whenever he went there with his team, um, they were described by the Irish people in different terms. And one set were called the cross bringers because they brought their death with them. They were not afraid to stand up before the kings, the, the Ri, the Ardri, the High King, or any of them. They were not afraid to stand in front of chieftains that were armed and who wanted to kill them and declare the things of God. They would also get between the marauders and those that would want to enslave people. These were the people that were ready to die to do the right thing. And they were ready to die for God. And so that's what these people would have heard. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it's going to be interactive. You're not going to get to be an observational follower, like people that go to church and 
rather than standing on the promises or just sitting on the premises. They're just, you know, they're there to observe worship and at the end of it decide if they liked it. No, this is pick up your cross, do the hard thing. Are you ready to die for God? Only if you are ready, let's go. It's very much, uh, I, I think of this when I think of Todd Beeman and the flight that uh, crashed into the, uh, the meadow in Pennsylvania because the men on board would not let it be taken to uh, be crashed into DC. And when Todd Beeman said, let's, let's roll, it's kind of like that. You know, whenever Jesus said, are you ready? Are you ready to do this? And then another question, and, and this will be the last one for today because I like to keep this very short. Um, a man asked, what about going forward to confess sin? Now, many of you will not understand what this is, but in a lot of Protestant churches and in the one in which I was raised, if you sinned and it was a private sin, you were said, you told, you just go to God and ask him for forgiveness. But if it was a public sin, a sin the people of the town or the church knew about, maybe public drunkenness, or maybe you'd um, had sex with somebody and you were caught, you know, not your wife, not, not somebody you're allowed to, somebody that's in the off, not allowed list. You know, um, you were you had to walk forward, and generally speaking, there'd be a song sung at the end of the sermon, an invitation song, it'd be called, and you would walk forward if you wanted to be baptized, or you'd walk forward if you wanted to place membership at that church, but you would also walk forward if you had to confess a public sin. And I was asked in an email, "What about that?" No, it's not in scripture. It isn't. Oh, you can torture a couple of passages and get something kind of like that, that you can then build this whole edifice on, but you're really building a skyscraper on a cobweb. No, God does not require you to feel abject, utter, public shame. He does not require you to embarrass yourself and others. And how I've seen this abuse, the spiritual abuse, Whenever a young girl was pregnant outside of marriage, I've seen this happen several times, where she had to come forward and confess that she'd had sex and that she was uh, not married to the guy and now she's pregnant. The shame that was there. And of course, people are going, well, of course, God forgives you. But the way they look at it, and my, my response to people was, wait, wait, wait. She sinned and you will be able to see that. That's the only difference between her sins and yours is it yours may not be physically seeable but why does she have to be shamed I've, some churches went so far as to say i just can't believe it they're going to throw a baby shower for her when she you know, seriously you, you can't understand why it might be nice to show the young lady love acceptance and help rather than i'm sorry you sinned i mean, what there's no jesus in this none now, again, if I, you know, if I was guilty of murder, it might be nice to let the whole church know I'm really sorry. But that whole mechanism, worship service, not found in scripture. A invitation song after the sermon, not found in scripture. Coming forward to the front of the church building. Church building not found in scripture, coming forward to the front of the non-existent church building not found in scripture. Confessing your sin to all, well, hang on. The Bible does talk about to confess our faults one to another. And many versions do 
in my opinion, sadly, say sins. I believe the phrasing and the consistency is better around the word faults. I, I believe that we do tell each other, I have this struggle. And therefore, uh, for example, an alcoholic would say, while it may not be a sin to have a beer or it, it is to me, because to alcoholics, the thing is that they say is that one drink is too many and four is not enough. It's that they understand they have no control there. Uh, that's part of the process, getting better. And there may be other things. I have, um, I have weak spots in my own life that I've, I openly tell people, this is not for me, I can't really do this. So we can share our faults one to, with each other, but the idea of sharing is so that we can help each other and we can watch out for each other and we can carry each other. It has nothing to do with, you must go through the ring of fire of shame before then you're acceptable and pure to be with us again. No, no, that's, that's not of Jesus. Thank you, enjoy your week. Tomorrow, if the Lord is willing, we will take a look at the back part of 1 Corinthians chapter seven, and if possible, move a little bit faster through. All right, God bless you. Patrick, it's OurSafeHarbor.com. Let us know if you have questions or needs.